Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hello, everybody, and good morning. Welcome back to the program. At this hour, buyers in New York City confront a series of choices, co-op or condo, high-rise or walk-up, a second bathroom, or just steps from the subway. But there seems to be a consensus on at least one decision, whether or not to hire a real estate lawyer. Also, how important is a title search in your real estate transaction? I have an attorney and a title specialist here today with us this morning, and we will talk about all of that. Also at this hour, let's face it, a good percentage of New York City residents are not native New Yorkers. They come from near and far, drawn to the city for many reasons, among them the need to check off that must-live-in-New-York-City item on their bucket list. But what surprises them the most about coming to live in New York City after they have been here for a while? We're going to talk about that, and we're going to find it out. But first, I would like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate on a very brisk and cold New York morning. It is 36 degrees now, and our city is bracing for yet another nor'easter coming into town today, tonight, and tomorrow. So good luck, everybody, on that one. Anyway, buyers in New York City confront a series of choices, as I said. Do I buy a co-op? Do I buy a condo? What about a high-rise? Do I like that? What about a walk-up? A second bathroom would be great, or just steps from the subway, because, you know, I'm lazy and I don't want to walk. So... What is the most important thing in a real estate transaction? And that is an attorney. In New York, unlike most places in the United States, it is customary for buyers to seek the representation of a lawyer throughout the purchasing process. Although this is not a legal requirement, some long-time real estate agents say they have never witnessed a deal completed without the buyers having a lawyer on hand. With us today is such a lawyer, Daniel Gershberg. He was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. He has always had an entrepreneurial spirit. After graduating New York Law School, he immediately opened the doors to his own law offices, hoping to change the way small attorneys are perceived. Besides being the owner and president, Daniel is involved in various not-for-profit and pro bono initiatives, including the Brooklyn Bar Association, Volunteer Lawyers Project, and Pencil.org. He teaches bankruptcy and real estate law for various CLE providers, including Nexus, Nexus, Lexus, Nexus, Lawline.com, and NACLE. Is it? How do you? Say, is that a? I just say NACLE. NACLE.com. I tried to figure that out this morning and said I'm just going to say NACLE. <laughs> also with us is our title expert, Berto Antoniano. He began his career, believe it or not, as a real estate agent and a loan officer in his native Boston. And after achieving Rookie of the Year Diamond Club member status and being ranked in the top 10 out of 75,000 executives nationwide, he was tapped to open and manage three offices for his company in the Boston area. And until you get to know this guy, you, I mean, you can just imagine he's a fireball. Anyway, he's now in title, as I said, he works for MIT, which is a national title insurance uh, company with offices in Manhattan. They represent some of the nation's leading underwriters and are licensed to do business in all 50 states. Uh, His company, MIT, was designed around two very simple goals, to deliver the finest quality title services and do everything to make the client experience an easy uh, and user-friendly as possible. Isn't that all of our goals, even in real estate? Good morning, guys. Yes, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Also with us is Noah Kaplan from Nest Seekers International and Perul Brombat from Compass. So, Daniel, let's start with you. You started Gershberg Law, your your firm, uh, right out of school several years, in, several years ago in hopes of redefining the experience clients have with their attorney. So how are you and how is your firm different than anyone else, the big guys, the other small guys? You've carved a niche for yourself intentionally from graduation, and right. here you are. 
So uh, it's an ongoing experiment. Um, and so far, uh, it's worked, but I, I try and, and sort of improve on it every single day. Uh, I thought about this question for, for a long period of time. Um, I am surrounded by really, really talented people. Uh, I am the son of immigrants, which means I have zero ego and I put my head down and work like crazy. And with zero ego and a lot of humility comes um, the ability to learn. So whereas lawyers, I don't know if you heard, sometimes do have egos, I like to learn from people on the other side. And it's helped me through my career uh, because I see someone on the other side that knows what they're doing. And I take that knowledge and I apply it to the clients that I actually represent. And for the first few years in terms of my practice, I was looking at what I should do differently, right? How should I treat the client as opposed to actually asking the client what they want? Um, and when that hit me, I kind of stopped in my tracks. And I started thinking about who is my client? What do they do for a living? How much time do they have? And how do they want to approach this transaction? And I modeled my entire firm based on that. So my clients are 28 to 42, 90% of first-time home buyers. They're working like crazy. They have nannies. They barely have any time for anything. They don't have time to come into the office to review contracts. We made every single one of our contracts electronic. They don't have time to really understand all the due diligence, so we put fine points in terms of the due diligence that we actually do. <coughs> I understood what their pain points were, and I tried to address those. I don't say I'm better than other people that are more experienced. There's attorneys that are legitimately better than me because they've been doing it for three times as long. I just know who my clients are and I put myself in their shoes and I try and understand them. That's it. You obviously have an entrepreneurial spirit and, and, and focus. So, you know, going back to college graduation days and you decided then not to join and I'm sure you interned at, at some of the other la- larger firms, you know, yes. around town, but you decided to do your own thing. Any particular specific reason why you didn't want to go work with the big guys and you just wanted to, I mean, obviously your, your, your business model is, is, is very well received, but what made you want to do your own thing? I mean, it's not so easy for any of us in any discipline or any you know profession to go out on our own and start our own firm. You obviously did it for a reason and did it really successfully over the last several years. So why, why, why did you actually do it? We did khakis. So <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed with a very, very well-known large <clears throat> law firm. Mm-hmm. And during the interview, uh, it was for a labor and employment law position. And I had no idea about labor and employment law, but I had to act like I did because that's what you do after law school. <laughs> and uh, during the interview, there was a fire alarm and we all went downstairs. There was like 400 attorneys and they all looked identical and all of them were wearing pleated khakis. I don't wear pleated khakis. <laughs> I knew that the culture itself wouldn't fit and uh, I'd be fired in no time. And I had, I don't know, I think $170,000 worth of student loan debt. So I thought, I'm going to start this thing. What's the worst that can happen? I'm going to practice bankruptcy anyway. Maybe I'll do my own. Um, (laughs) So so I did it. Um, And I had no idea what I was doing. But I knew that if I did it, and I came from an entrepreneurial background, if I did it, I should do it, you know, when I didn't have kids, when I really was just starting out, because I knew I would hustle harder. Mm. Um, And I did. I spent every single day, I would go to Staten Island and do $50 appearances at closings just to learn it. You know, I'd go to court just to sit there and and understand what was going on. Um, And it was some of the most fun I've ever had in my entire life. So, and I knew that if I ever worked in a, in a, 
a specific firm environment, like a large law firm, I would never be able to fit in. It's just not my character. It's not who I am. And honestly, for the money I paid, I didn't want to do that, right? I, I wanted to help people, but I wanted to have a face-to-face interaction. There's that element of fear when you go strike yeah. out on your own, you know, just like real estate agents. I came from, you know, 20 years in, in corporate America where I had a wonderful salary, where I had benefits, where I had vacation time and all that good stuff. I know you did, Pearl. <laughs> End of the day, when you come into a, an independent contracting position like real estate, all of that gets thrown out the window, and now you know it's all up to you and all up to what you do and what you make to to carry on. And so I think that that fear sometimes that that lives in there creates should create success uh, for us ultimately if we stay the game and and keep that focus going out. Uh, and you've obviously done that and done it well. So you know I want to talk a little bit a little bit about the uh, real estate contract process because the contract process sometimes people kind of forget about when they go through a deal. They just say, oh, well, you know, it's up to the attorney. Let's figure that out right. or whatever. But the client wants to have contracts signed. The brokers are calling nonstop and the attorney needs to make changes and to do their due diligence. Often this process can take seven days or more to get everything complete. And as I said, brokers are in the middle of it. You know, clients are in the middle of it. Uh, buyers and sellers are in the middle of it. You know, how um, has any of that changed or has technology kind of helped? Uh, you said something about making your contracts online, but has has technology uh, enhanced the, the actual contract process from the start, from deal sheet right through until we say the client actually signs off on the bottom line? I would say we're in the top of the first inning in real estate in terms of technology. We are so ridiculously antiquated in the way that we mm-hmm. do things for the most part, and it's so stupid, and there's no reason for it. So I'll go, give to, go to a closing and you'll see that, right? Right. We have 4,000 <laughs> papers and people are signing and they're making right. copies and right. we're waiting for the copy machine. What, do, what are it's we even ridiculous. talking about? Yeah, what are we even talking about? Right. I'll give you an example. Um, Contracts, there, it takes sometimes two to three days for a seller's attorney to get a contract out. And I always ask, I, I, I talk to brokers all the time, I said, do you know why? And they said, no, it's just, that's the amount of time. It's because the paralegal that's responsible for doing the contracts is busy with other contracts. We spent $12 on Upwork.com and we coded an Excel spreadsheet that populates a deal sheet into a contract immediately, right? That's not tooting my own horn. But that's insane that an entire it's efficiency, industry, though. right, yeah. right, and no one, but no one cares for the most part because everyone's eating and everyone's okay, and this is the way it's always done. I think there will be a rude awakening um, when mm-hmm. it comes to this because I think that number one, management companies are going to get eaten alive. Um, I think over the next ten years, They're, they just are right. There's there's literally no reason for many of them to exist the way they are right now. Amen to that. Uh, I just <laughs> can. I'm going to interrupt to say I took on a rental listing for a uh, a fellow co-broker who is a broker in Miami, <clears throat> owns a place in New York City. So rarely do I take on l- rental listings anymore. Um, I took this on and I'm not going to say who the property manager is because it's one of the larger ones. And I was shocked, shocked to realize that a rental application for someone who has been approved by their management company in a different building, um, had to pay fifteen hundred, sorry, eighteen hundred dollars on their side for move-in application fee, et cetera, and then uh, the the uh, owner had to pay another eight hundred dollars in fees for a rental application, and they charged three hundred dollars to renew the second year. 
There's no justification for these fees at all. No, at all. No, they got to eat. Yeah. And so, you know, just to give you an example, board minutes, which is a part of due diligence, right? They used to be great. And they used to tell you what the hell was going on in the building. They no longer do. And the reason they no longer do, oddly enough, is because questionnaires now cost $250 to $300 per questionnaire. So they have to make some money. No, they do. So so to go back to the board minutes, not telling much about the building anymore. I just so, verify that for me. So five years ago, you used to be able to go into a building and you'd review the board minutes. And the board minutes would say, the elevator on the A-line is broken, and we have three bids out, and we think it's going to cost $80,000 to fix. Reserve fund will be used for that. We'll replenish reserve fund, maintenance increase of 2.5%. We're, you know, everything's okay, right? It gives you a good sense of what's going on. Now, you'll go into a building, and it'll say, elevator broken. And that's from a year ago. (laughs) What am I supposed to do with that in terms of due diligence? And I've just stopped the contract in its tracks. Why? Right? You have a management company whose sole job, you are solely responsible for telling outsiders what is going on and telling the shareholders what's going on within this building. I can't do that anymore, so I have to send the questionnaire over, and I have to pay, and they will not answer any of the questions until they receive an official check, because mm-hmm. obviously people are bouncing $200 checks left and right. What? You could, but they're buying $2 million places? Absolutely. So. Tech is going to, I think, and not to be cliche, revolutionize the area. It's just you need players that are going to come in. I think they're going to come in from Brooklyn, not from Manhattan. So, so curious, like what? I mean, I'm, I'm really curious about this. So, what's going to replace a management company? You said tech, but like in what form? I think you're going to have how? less. You know, when you have a management company now that has 50 people, I think yeah. you're going to have a management company that has five people. The questionnaires that we, as attorneys, send over banks, they're identical. Right. right. And so you can have real time auto population of a lot of these answers. Like how many units does the sponsor own? It's really easy to put that in. Yeah. What's in the reserve fund? I don't know. Have a program literally check the bank balance at yeah. the time. And you can automatically email these things. And so you can have uh, less people working, which means less management mm-hmm. fees to a building, which means the building pays less for their ongoing expenses, which means maintenance and common charges are less, which means there's more people buying in the building. It's All right, we have to leave it there. Come back after the break. We are live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Berto Antoniano, Daniel Gersberg, Noah Kaplan from Nest Seekers International, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com just joined us, and Paul Brombat from (laughs) Compass. All right, so I want to ask you quickly about DocuSign. What is your thought on DocuSign? You say you have... um, put your contracts online yep. uh, so you're emailing them back and forth do you or is it allowed to have clients sign a purchase agreement via DocuSign these days we use HelloSign but it's exactly the same thing oh, it's totally thing. allowed we have a, a rider in um, a paragraph in the rider which essentially says PDF copies are the same as originals and that signature is legally binding just like any other would do uh, uh, building managers and managing agents give you a hard time on that in four years we've never had one this year that's great to know yeah, yeah I would expect that they would have a problem with that but to good to hear that they don't. I love it because now I can send my exclusive um, sales agreements or, or, or rental agreements to clients and I don't have to, you know, I can't scan it, I can't do this, DocuSign it, bang, comes back to me in seconds and it's really a wonderful there, there thing. There is a, I mean, there's a school of thought that electronic signatures is actually more stable, right? Yes. Because there's more mm, proof. Absolutely. Yeah. There's more proof that that person actually yeah. signed it and right. what time they signed it and yeah. when they signed it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what server and, and com- computer they use. That's right. Yep. That's right. Because yeah. it's much, because it is easier to forge, <laughs> I, I obviously, a handwritten <laughs> contract. Absolutely. Exactly. I never understood that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the deal sheet. I had an attorney here about a year ago and she was very mm-hmm. tough on us with regard to the deal sheet and for all the right reasons, okay? Everything originates with the deal sheet. And for those of you out there who don't know what a deal sheet is, it's the start of the real estate transaction when you get a buyer and you bring them to the table with the seller, you come to terms, everything gets put down on a term sheet, a deal sheet, a transaction sheet, whatever you want to call it. It's vital to get the information on the deal sheet correct. And that's the whole point of this question. Brokers should get a copy of the last deed, stock certificate, and maintenance invoice to ensure that the deal sheet lists the names of the title holders, including the infamous middle initial, if there's any, because all of this stuff, minor things, uh, you know, can hold up everything and all other relative uh, relevant information. You agree with that, correct? I mean, not only do I agree, I think that two minutes of extra preparation can save a deal. Right. Because what what we don't know, we don't know. It's an unknown unknown. And so if something isn't, you know, for instance, a bookcase or anything else isn't put in the, the deal sheet itself, I don't know that it should be there in the first place. We have a stopgap where we email our clients and say, hey, did you not, you know, what, what is the stuff that you're leaving? What is the stuff that you're taking? But at the end of the day, if a broker spends literally 10 minutes mm-hmm. doing this stuff, it makes the contract process significantly more seamless. And how many times does a deal sheet go out with incorrect maintenance or common charges, incorrect real estate taxes, and then it's back and forth? Well, you tell me it's this number. Why is it that number? How, what, are, you know, what about this and what about that? When you take a listing, brokers out there, please ask your sellers not only to verbally give you that number ask them for their last statement from the managing agent so you have both of those numbers correct because the worst thing that can happen is it goes into a contract and now you're fighting at a closing table or or for the, and for younger brokers out there call the managing agent as soon as you get the listing established rapport <clears> you know uh, get the application ahead of time one of the biggest things that um, I'm still astounded by is when I'm doing a transaction and we have an accepted offer, 
and I get uh, the application package from the other broker and it is evident to me that the other broker has not mm-hmm. even opened it to read the details themselves. They don't know who the managing agent is. No. They have no established rapport. It is incredible to me. Or a deal sheet goes out and the managing agents, you know, the, the building rep mm-hmm. doesn't go out. So if an attorney has a question with the building rep or the other broker has a question, who do I call with this managing agent? Who reps this particular building, right? Oh, gee, I don't really know who that is. Uh, okay, well, you better find out quick. Right. right. Also, managing agents don't really feel like the intensity that that you know they they're not married mm-hmm. to the transaction, so they just all. they're nope. just they just want to finish their salad or I don't know, just like <laughs> there's uh, they want to get through the day. Right. There's also really. another reason why you want to make sure that the maintenance is correct and the, if there's any assessment, because it could affect the pricing of the listing to begin with. So we make sure whenever we put a listing out, mm-hmm. we always confirm what the maintenance is and mm-hmm. if there's an assessment, because that will potentially affect mm-hmm. not only the price, but the strategy of what you're pricing it at. I mean, these, the maintenance is a, a critical component. Mm-hmm. And I've had deals almost fall apart because the maintenance wasn't correct. At, mm-hmm. that's and you didn't realize it until the deal sheet or until the right. attorney does their due diligence mm-hmm. and it could be a real problem. Can that, I just say something exactly correct? Yeah. Very quickly, yeah. the the closing date. Brokers and agents have to understand what a closing date actually means, right? Mm-hmm. There's a difference between Absolutely. an on or about date and a closing date. And that difference can trip up a client completely because mm-hmm. if they're doing a buy sell, mm-hmm. you are they're going to assassinate you. 100%. They're going to find your family. 100%. Yeah, it's bad. It's it's yeah. so bad. Yeah. I just went through a situation with a buy and a sell. It's it's it, it's really tricky. Yeah. Berto, let's let's get an update um, for the listening audience right. out there. So, when in this whole transaction, this whole process, does title insurance come in? Um, for those out there who may not have purchased yet and who don't really understand the mechanics of a transaction, what is title insurance, first of all, and when does it kick into this purchase um, transaction? Of course. Well, title insurance, I think we explained this a bit in the previous episode. Uh, it's just our 40-year search, making sure that there's a continuous chain of title and that there's no liens or encumbrances on your property. Right? It is typically ordered once you go into contract. So that's when it's usually ordered. What we like to do, of course, is offer value to our clients by being a bit proactive and unveiling any title issues before you get into contract, right? Uh, I would say at least three or four times a week, I have uh, an attorney or a broker or even a buyer direct. I'm happy to speak to buyers directly to do a lien search, judgment search. That's the most common one. Uh, But we can also check ECB violations, uh, certificate of occupancies, uh, especially with properties in Brooklyn. That one's that one's pretty fun because sometimes there isn't one and we have to do some digging. Last owner of record, what mortgages are available. Uh, and I guess that's just sort of how we try to off- offer value. You know, you and I were talking offline before we come on the show this morning. Uh, I just recently had a title situation. New development condo, closing set last Wednesday. At the 11th hour, I'm getting a phone call from the co-broker who's in the closing. I don't go to the new development closings because they're just like too many of them all the time, whatever. <laughs> so not for me, but that's just you know how they are. Yeah. And she's telling me we have a problem. We're probably not going to close because there's an issue with the title. There's a lien that was put against the developer for lack of payment to a subcontractor to the t- tile guy. Okay. So I'm taking all this in. It's like 6 o'clock at night, and I'm thinking <laughs> title was cleared at the beginning of the week. What happened? What happened was from the beginning of the week when the title company cleared title to the day of the closing, this subcontractor uh, uh, placed a, a lien against the developer for lack of payment. Wow. And oh, so I'm thinking, Crazy. you know, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's just no. unbelievable. But the, the point is how important title is. We They yeah. cleared it up at the closing table. It didn't have to get adjourned. So it, it, it got 
fixed. Vince, that would affect and they theoretically all units, not just that one unit, right? Or it would have affected all units from that day forward, and there right. were like three the or four of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. we closed so many of them already. Wow. So this one guy, this one renegade, you know, whatever, just decided to slap a lean against. <laughs> Good way to get over. attention, though, right? Jeez. Boy, did he yeah. get attention! And here I am at six o'clock at night. I don't know who to yell at because it's six o'clock at night. I'm in front of my building oh on my the sidewalk God. with a grocery bag, thinking, well, <laughs> I, "I just want to go home and eat." You know, yeah. leave me alone. Oh my God! Well, that's the thing about title is anyone can attack your title at any time. Anyone can claim ownership of your property or slap a lien on it. Really? That's, and that's, that's what that's, the insurance is for. That's Jeez. the point. Exactly. And so you just don't know. This is a brand new building. You no encumbrances. No, no issues that we were aware of. And we've had several closings, 20 closings before that, right? So yeah. how does this happen? Wow. Wow. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, Daniel, so in terms of investing in New York real estate, you were interviewed last summer and you said that anywhere in Brooklyn is a smart location to park your money. Now, we've got Noah here who does a lot of Brooklyn work Mm -hmm. and he's going to agree with you. Developers are pushing into the South Brooklyn neighborhoods where they really didn't, you know, go before. Uh, Those neighborhoods were in some cases battlegrounds. Look at them today. But also places like Brooklyn Heights and Williamsburg that were, you know, always pretty well established have gotten even more popular. You know, so my my question is why Brooklyn? What what's I mean, we I love Brooklyn, but 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 people out there say to me still today, but why Brooklyn? I you know. I haven't the faintest idea. Uh, I grew up there, and uh, <laughs> and and it mystifies me to this day. That's like, good enough, there's, right? There's places that I would drive around, which now have organic cheese shops. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you have to try this mochiard. And I'm like, right. what? Shots were being fired like <laughs> three <laughs> years ago. What is going on? In Crown Heights, you can go to places like that where you wouldn't even want to step out of your car in right, Crown Heights. Right. Right. No, it's absolutely insane. And and they're going more and more south. So I grew up around Brighton Beach and Sheepshead Bay. There was a there was a diner called oh, the nice. Diner yeah. that was sold out. They they turned it into new condos. I think, look, from my standpoint, um, I think there's a certain romanticism about Brooklyn, even the way it's it's portrayed in I movies agree. or the way people talk. It's not Manhattan, right? And <clears> it's a cliche kind of thing to say, but it's almost like you're going somewhere. That, so one of my best friends is moving to Clinton Hill, and he goes, I, I have a backyard. I love it there. Right. Yeah, and Clinton nice. Hill's amazing. But you know what, though, it, it is? Really it's is. that the city has, I think, man, by, with the city... I meant Manhattan. <laughs> I'm correcting myself on that one. Um, but people refer to Manhattan as the city. Yeah, yeah. right. right. Um, but but not not so much any longer, right? Like these right. are not the Sex in the City days where city means clearly Manhattan anymore, Absolutely. you know. And um, I I think that you know when you come off of the subway in just about anywhere in Brooklyn, about f- like half the staircase in you see blue sky you know in Manhattan you don't get that and the city's gotten increasingly so congested getting across like getting across town I I walk I walk even if it's negative 10 degrees outside because getting across town in a car is damn near impossible city bike um yeah well it's tougher for us girls with their heels on you know he's gonna Um, do that all the time yeah but uh, but yeah, so it's like there's just like all of these kind of like reasons of almost stepping out of the city and living in Brooklyn, even though Brooklyn's not really that much cheaper, especially in Clinton no. Hill or some of these areas. But it's not homogenous. So the city, and, and right. I've been in the city for years and years, is identical. So you used to be able to go to the East Village and it was different from Soho and it was different from Tribeca. There's a Dwayne Reed everywhere now. Now there's a Dwayne Reed at a bank, yeah, it's just on a every very, corner. Very, very, very different feel when you go to Clinton Hill or you go to Brooklyn Heights and then out of nowhere you go to Prospect Park. It's just a completely mm-hmm. different scene and a different feel in the neighborhood. One so. of the things I've always liked about Brooklyn, even in the days where it wasn't so fashionable, was the fact that it was not yes. homogenous and that it was just so 
melting pot, just like yeah. Manhattan used to be it years ago. It still feels like a neighborhood when you're it there, does, like yeah. whether it's a co-op in, that you're a part of in Park Slope or whether it is mm-hmm. just walking around the street and knowing all the shop owners. But you really do feel that neighborhood feel in Brooklyn that you don't feel in Manhattan, Absolutely. unfortunately, any longer. Yeah. We have a couple of minutes left to this segment. I wanted to ask you know, all of you, um, and uh, Daniel, obviously, in your practice, has politics over the last two years affected real estate? And are your clients really kind of making decisions because of politics? So what's happening in the world or are they not? No. And what is your advice on this? I, I mean, would are say they staying neutral. So or? I'm going to be the outlier here and I'm going to say <clears> no. I, I don't think it has affected. I think a lot of people can use this Trump presidency mm-hmm. as, I don't want to say maybe an excuse, but uh, as a reason as to why the market is what it is to a certain extent. Certainly, I've had three or four deals that went sideways mm-hmm. because people didn't understand the tax plan. They eventually bought and sold. They just didn't buy and sell this period of time where they right. didn't understand deductions. But right. I think a lot of people overplay the hand of politics when realistically during the same period of time, you have interest rates that are rising. You have property values that have skyrocketed so much that there's not a lot left for them to go. And so I think that there is a, a distinction needs to be made between using politics as a reason and really does, has anything really changed for a lot of people? You know what though? I think that the biggest point of view that I have in terms of just investments in general, whether it's real estate or otherwise, is it is illogical to take out it human condition. So in other words, you know, I was a philosophy major. And so to me, logic was everything. It's just, it was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my thought process was like, but you know, but I can prove this and the numbers prove it, da, da, da. But that's not the, and, and that's not how the world works. The human aspect is always at play. And when there is a Republican president, presidency period, it's amazing, amazing to me how bullish everybody gets in terms of all markets. And so, so much of the Republican success in office comes from the mindset of, great, we're going to have bigger tax cuts. We can actually make bigger bets. But that is part of the story right right. now. It really is. We have to leave it there and take a break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Yeah. Okay, everybody, we are back with Noah Kaplan from Nest Seekers International, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, Pearl <laughs> Brombat from Compass. 
Roberto Antoniano and Daniel Gershberg are sticking around with us to continue our conversation. So one of the most attractive aspects of purchasing a condo in New York City has long been the comparative ease of buying relative to co-ops, given that condo buyers are spared the invasive board approval process. A condo board has a right of first refusal. Either they exercise the right to buy the condo from the owner within the right time frame, or they say, we waive this and go ahead and, and make the purchase go through. Nowadays, though, some active condo boards are starting to look more and more like co-op boards in how they treat sales. Why and what has prompted this change in the condo board attitude? I've, I'm seeing so much of this lately personally in my own deals, and it seems to be getting more and more ridiculous. Why? What's <clears throat> happening? I uh, I. I debate whether there's like a trend going on where these condos are turning into co-ops because as you know, we talked about it I think last week that there's a trend where co-ops are becoming a little more lenient. They're not trying to be as strict. They're trying to So I, I do think that there's a, a mindset that people know if you're too strict, it's gonna create problems. I do think that the fees on condos are starting to cre- creep up. And that has to do with probably some stuff that you were saying where, they, you know, I mean, there's just not that much money to go around. They, these, they, these, they're going to go bankrupt if they don't start to increase the fees. And it's becoming a real problem. And I do think condo fees are becoming more. They're, um, they're, they're arrogant lately. They're yeah, out of control and, and they're arrogant. And one thing about that is, is really hmm. – very frustrating to me. It's a third party that does it. So what happens is in the transaction, an owner doesn't necessarily know what the fees are. The buyer doesn't necessarily, the broker doesn't know until all of a sudden it's time to like put the application in for a rental or something like that. And then you get hit with it. So just the way the fees happen, like when when these co-ops and condos make decisions about managing agents, I'm not, I wish they would think more about what those fees are because they could, they affect a lot of There's things a down the road. Why, though, you know? Do you know why? It's because <clears throat> if the fees are passed on to the transactions that are happening, the majority of the people are living in the building prefer the fees to be pushed there than each owner actually having to take on more of a... Totally agree. But then right. what happens is what by putting them on, say, the future renter or on the future buyer, mm-hmm. you're... It's still hurting the value of, say, what Absolutely. rent you can get, and, what purchase price you can and get. And to, you know, to whatever. answer Vince's question <clears throat> of, like, well, what's going on? Why are condo boards acting like more, more like co-op boards? First of all, I don't think that anybody's acting any differently. It's the application that is asking for more and more information for no apparent reason. And the reason is the more <laughs> complex of an application that the management company hands to us to fill out to the to the to the buyer, or the seller, the more work it appears that they're doing and the more they can justify, they can justify the higher it. fees totally is sure, yeah. my personal opinion yeah. on that. And yeah. for all the managing agents out there, I send you flowers. Please don't hate me for saying that. <laughs> Listen, you're 100% correct. One of the other things I wanted to point out, too, is the subletting policies in condos is very flexible. You know, you don't really have any subletting policies. And the fact that Airbnb kind of, and we've had strong debates on this program about Airbnb, but the fact that people try and sneak that into these buildings, you know, really create a lot of fear with unit owners and with managing agents and boards of these condos. So for those reasons, I think boards is trying, the condo boards are trying to get a little more strict on who they let in and what the profiles of the people coming into these buildings, just mm-hmm. like the co-ops used to be and mm-hmm. in some cases still are. Yeah, I was going to say there's also a demographic <laughs> shift. You have a lot of young families that are moving into condos as opposed to co-ops where they used to before, and the young families don't want random renters coming in. 
that Airbnb thing mm-hmm. is going to get shut down totally. so hard in yeah. the next two years. There's going to be so such I mean, it's, it's yeah. completely illegal in yeah. New York City. Yeah. It's yeah. totally illegal. <clears throat> and there's people that call me and they're like, hey, what about if I do this? And I was like, well, unless you're sleeping in the person in the same bed, it's, right. just, it's not going to happen. Also, in all the riders <laughs> now and all the, a lot of the leases, yeah. all these big landlords are putting in all these Airbnb clauses. I mean, it's, in, in contracts. In contracts, too. I yeah. lost two sales last year due to that one woman actually had the nerve to say to me, you know, I kind of fired her because she, she was strictly looking to buy a condo for Airbnb purposes. And I said, listen, and this is a referral. And I said, listen, this is not going to happen. And I went to the whole whatever. It's illegal. You can't do it. But but I finally said, you know, I'm not the broker for you. And she said, I'm going to go find a broker who's going to sell me a condo because I want to use it as Airbnb. I said, well, good luck to you because you may find that idiot broker who understands what you're saying and still goes through the process. But you're going to be shut down immediately. She didn't deserve you, Vince. The uh, Airbnb. No, no. I I know what you're saying. People are so stuck on, I want to do this because it's good income. It's a good business Uh, model. It's a good... Go buy a townhouse. The thing is, Airbnb works great for certain things. Like, I've used it before. We all have. I think Mm -hmm. it's a... I I don't have any problem with their sort of basic business model, especially Mm -hmm. how it started. Outside of New York City. Right. But for city living, and I wouldn't say not even just New York City, but for, like, city living, you have to consider the other people in the building. I mean, it just... I I mean, it's just... You know, I mean, that's that's the problem. Yeah. All right. Anyway, moving on, because I can get really heated on that topic. Let's face <laughs> it, a good percentage of New York City residents are not native New Yorkers. They come from near and far, drawn to the city for many reasons, among them the need to check off that I must live in New York item on the bucket list. And I think Perul said it before, you know, this isn't sex in the city anymore. Okay, things kind of change. Everybody wanted to come into, it's glamorous to move into the city, right? Glamorous. It was always something to... Listen, I did it, right? I have to live in New York City. Here I am 30 plus years later. (laughs) What surprises them the most about coming to live in New York City after they've been here for a while? So one of the things that popped up is what? No liquor sales in supermarkets? Hmm. I guess in the suburbs, and I was too young when I was in the suburbs. I don't really remember. But when when you go to the supermarket, you can buy alcohol. Sure, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so you know we couldn't even have beer or wine in our stores. So this is an upgrade for me. Even the f- I've been here for I don't even want to say how long anymore, but it's been forever, and mine, it's so. still I still love the fact that I can pick up a six pack or whatever from wherever. I mean, it's so easy in this town. So riding the subway <laughs> is like being stuffed in a sausage casing. I mean, so when you don't live in the city and you move into the city, why is that such a surprise? This is a metropolitan big town. People take subways every day, right? But people are amazed when they move into the city, into New York City, I should say, including old boroughs, that the subways are packed. I kind of understand that because it's, it's kind of crazy sometimes how close your nose is to like your fellow fellow New Yorker's nose. I mean, and it's ridiculous. During flu season, it's not a thing to, that oh, you want to no, do, right? Just, I'm really good at telling people to move into the middle of the me car. Too. Oh, I've, yeah. I've got a talent for <laughs> a that. New it up now. Yeah, right totally. There. Yeah, I'm like, excuse me, the can you space, space over the middle? Yeah, over there. Do you know how I get people out of my face sometimes when it's really, really crowded and I can't, it's like, no, I have my earplugs in because I'm I'm listening to music. I'll just start singing out loud. Yeah, really? And, and, <laughs> that was That man all dressed up over there may look good, but he's nuts. This is such an old reference with the movie Ghost, like Patrick Swayze and his friend get into this elevator and start talking about how he has a disease and he's like coughing and everybody just moves away. I think that's the way to go. Another another main thing is the backpack. Holy freaking! 
crap. Yeah. The backpack. Yeah. That's another person. I can't stand oh the backpack gosh. in the train. And then they oh, my God. You got to take it off. Disney, oh, my God. To the, I take the it rules off. are, you're supposed yes, to take it off. I always take it off. I always it take it off. When people don't take it off, that backpack takes up another person's space. And and you hit people. You innocently hit people all the time. All you got to do is I'll push people. I'll just push them. I spray mace. I can't believe you guys got this rowdy over the backpack. It's a big deal. Let me tell you. The other one that surprised me is they, they come to the city, they come to New York City, and they say, summers here are just not cool. Well, what did you expect? And, you know, it's not the tropics, Ooh, but it's no. northeast. It's warm in the summertime, you know. Yeah. So unless you're coming from Alaska, and where it's maybe, Where are you coming from that yeah. it's not warm in the summertime? Right. I, don't I mean, it's... So, I, I need I, more friends with uh, private pools. Yeah. That's right. Well, I think That's it's right. the trash on the streets. You know, it's like you don't expect that to be such a it's chronic nice. thing all summer well, long, and it is. Yeah. And you get nose blind after the second year yeah, in New York, but the first year it's shocking to your nose for sure. Mm. The other one is walking, and Brule said this before, walking is sometimes, I'm going to say all the time, faster than either an Uber car, a taxi, or the subway. Mm-hmm. Because when you're trying to go cross town, east, mm-hmm. west, west, east, forget it. Yeah. I have, a, I have an e-bike now, and it's uh, really fun in Brooklyn. E-bike? Yeah. What does that mean? You take it in with you? It's, a, it's an electric bike. Oh, oh, I'm no, sorry. No, just plug it in. It's like up. the delivery guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm yeah. a delivery guy. Are those legal? Questionable. I pedal, so it looks like a real bike. Exactly. That's what it is. We all know you guys are pretending to pedal. It's a pretend pedal. One of the other things, and this is a good thing, is the amount of culture and diversity is mind-blowing. So I guess if you're coming from the outer, you know, areas of this country where there is not a lot of culture and you appreciate culture and diversity because this town is very diverse. These are, this is one of the, the positives that they say um, they really like. I, I find not? And I, this is funny. I, I'll be sitting down on the train and I just know when someone is from out of town because they sit down and just the look on their face, they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> diversity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. You know, like different shades and creeds and uh-huh. everything. And I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, well, and then the other side of that is people come here specific, specifically for that reason because they may be a little different and they want to come here and be able to be free and be, you know, able to express themselves and do their thing and in a world or in a city or in a town where there are many people just like you, right? So in your own town, well, you may I stick love, out like a sore thumb. You know thumb. what? Today's the Sex in the City episode on this radio show <laughs> for me because yeah. um, I love the episode where Carrie's standing in a line to get into like a gay club and some like guy's walking down the street and he yells at a gay person standing there saying, oh my God, why don't you get your own island? And the gay person turns around and says, yeah, you're on it. Yes, yes. <laughs> I remember that's also a vi- uh, movie line. Yeah. I, think which I movie love that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hysterical. One of the other ones is rats are really everywhere. Well, we don't have to go into that, but they, you know. They really are. They really are. Uh-huh. I was I pizza mean, rat for Halloween we, last year. They're not scared of you. So I know they're not. Before Williamsburg, I lived in the South Street Seaport with my wife and it's a beautiful Beautiful district, um, but mm-hmm. rats have been there for longer than humans. And I would walk my dog at three o'clock in the morning, and you would just have like three rats that are just looking at you. Just and I have a yeah. bulldog, yeah, and they're just like, "Where are you going, bro? Where are you going? <laughs> it's really late." And you go back home. They don't care. They're, they're smoking a cigarette over there, looking at you, staring you down. Yeah, absolutely. Riding an e-bike. <laughs> and this other one, this this one is. Well, near we don't know how to get people away from us on subways. They know how to yeah, how no, get they, us away from them. You know, right, that that is a very scary thought. Anyway, <laughs> this, this one is kind of near and dear to my heart. Your corner bodega will become. Your oh. life line. Yes, yes, but can yeah. I just tell I you, I live, on, my I live on 15th and 6th. 
And there are six bodegas around me that have all shut down in the over the two years, including well, yes. a Seven Eleven. Yeah. Mm. So the closest bodega to me is an avenue away now. And also, yeah, yeah. it I'm, is I'm crazy because they can't afford these bodegas. Yeah. Can't afford the rents anymore. Yeah, that's not good. That's it's not, not good. good. People are using Fresh Direct. They're using a lot of. Right, I mean, right, we, right. We, Amazon we, Fresh. Amazon Fresh. Call it. Yeah. Google has one. Hey, I just God. I just downloaded Instacart. 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 Although that comes last, from local, but last of yeah it does. Course. But last week during the uh, mm. the uh, nor'easter on Friday, I said I had nothing in the house. Of course, I had to go and get groceries, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. So I had just downloaded this <laughs> no, app. No, I'm and not I, doing it. I said <laughs> I, I'm not doing it. And the dog wanted to go out, and I said, you're not going out. So you know what? <laughs> I opened up the app, and I said, let's try yeah. this. An hour later, all of my groceries were delivered yeah. to my doorstep. Yeah. So Love I'm kind of like. You know, I don't like to do that all the time because, yeah. you know, who's got the That's time the to plan that? Yeah. But, you know, in a day like that, and who mm. knows what tomorrow brings, right? Mm-hmm. All right, anyway, we have to take a break. We are live from Blastar Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will continue on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Wow. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, and we're talking to Noah, Phil, uh, Peru, 
Roberto and Daniel. So while foreign investors are spending plenty of bucks in the Big Apple, they are not as aggressive, aggressive as they were a year or two ago. Despite money moving into city assets, New York's reign as the top global destination targeted by foreign investment has ended, and London, which was always cheaper, rose to the number one spot. Meanwhile, for U.S. investment, Los Angeles has tied New York. That was interesting to me, that statistic. Yeah. says a new survey by the Association of Foreign Investors in Real Estate. What is the concern about New York to the foreign investor today around the world, wherever they're coming from, whether it's you know uh, <clears throat> China or Hong Kong or um, any, any land? I mean, for a while, you know... Um, what I'm losing my train of thought. For a while, the um, Russia. What what is the what is the the, the, the oligarchs? Well, the, the Russians. Them, but the Russians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they were spending lots and lots of money, and then, like for political reasons, things kind of slowed down. But so, what is it about New York City these days that is keeping people from investing here as fast and furious as they used to? I, I was going to say, like, I mean, I don't just because we're not number <clears> one anymore doesn't necessarily mean there are quote unquote concerns. But I do think that there was some opportunities here that were there a few years ago that aren't there as much. I mean, if you have a lot of money and you're a global investor, you're going to constantly compare the value of New York real estate with all the other real estate cities and and places around the world. And at one point, a few years ago, I think New York looked really good. And now because prices have increased a lot dramatically, relatively speaking, it just doesn't look as as good as it was. But I think people still consider it. The bottom line is, is what it's taking to actually build, to, to buy land and build a product where you can turn a decent profit or it doesn't feel like an unsafe investment, um, you have to build a luxury product. However, there's a limited number of people who can buy 3,000 a square foot um, on, on the retail end of the condo or whatever it is that you're building. And as a result of that, um, it's it's not as sure of a bet that there's going to be absorption in the market in a way where the investment makes sense. Also, current, uh, currently, as the, as the way the numbers stand, and there's also been so much building. Correct. And, and it's the question of where, where do you go from here, right? So, obviously, if you if you have a lot of money, part of it is just parking it, but the other part of it is where is this going to appreciate? Mm-hmm. And if you if people feel that you know it's gotten to sort of the end of that growth spectrum, mm-hmm. and then also because you have you know supply and demand. If there's mm-hmm. a, a part of my French, a crap load of supply. Um, <laughs> he's not going to pardon my French. Ooh. All right, that's why I said crap. <laughs> if there is a lot of supply out there, then all of a sudden these luxury products don't look anywhere as unique because yeah. there are 10 of them. And also it, the toughest piece is also location, location, right? If it's a mid-block building, even if it if you've built it with the best finishes, you know, if you're not getting the type of light and the ceiling heights or whatever it is in order to be able to command those sorts of prices, and there just isn't that much space left that is prime where there is something that can be built that could could, could justify those prices. I've, so it's, something's got to give. You know, there will be a market balancing that comes out of all of this. Sure. Can I make one quick point? So FinCEN, uh, our Treasury Department regulations that came into play in 2016, and they immediately stopped foreign buying in its tracks for the most part. So if you're buying for over $3 million in the city, you're buying for over $1.5 million in Brooklyn, and you're buying all cash, now the government wants to know every single beneficiary owner of an LLC. Mm-hmm. There is no more privacy whatsoever. One level mm-hmm. down only, though. Right, one level yep. down, correct. Yep. Um, but that's I mean, that's the main thing that. right there. Yes. That's, that's a humongous aspect yeah. of it. So you had people mm-hmm. raising money, 
and they don't want their names put out there, and so they immediately stop putting money in. The question, we have a question Certainly for you, actually. Russian oligarchs, yeah. we, they don't want their names put out uh, there. No, right? no, not at all. Daniel, yeah, yeah. what about the current LLCs, the ones that were bought five years ago? They're fine. They were grandfathered they're into fine. it. Wow. Wait, they're fine. Wow. Wait, but that's not just a New York thing, though. That's no. a U.S. thing, right? Miami, so that also Honolulu, and yeah, Los Angeles yeah, yeah, yeah. now it's as national. well. Right. Yeah. And so, they're going to make it national. Right, right. Yeah. So the fact that it affects L.A. as well, so do does beg the question in terms of why L.A. over New York? It could very well also be where what countries are these people buying from, right? So if it's Russians, they, they have more of knowledge right. of New York to, yes. to be perfectly honest than anyone else if it's you know the Brazilians same thing with New York but the Brazilian economy is essentially tanked so mm. where are the people coming from and that yep. will give you an idea as to where they're going to be buying for that's sure. why Vancouver went up alright moving on getting a mortgage for yes. a condo or co-op is not just limited to getting the borrower the borrower approved but the building approved also and this is where sometimes people don't you know really pay attention and this is predominantly for you know new development but it also you know spills over to resale condos most when you work with clients, do you tell them it's almost like applying for two loans, one for you and one for the building, while it's all the same loan uh, and your attorney, lender, and real estate agents are all working to get this done? The building still needs to be reviewed and approved by your lender. After all, you don't want to live in a building that your bank won't lend to. I mean, this uh, has been an enormous problem you know, for me through the years. Mm-hmm. How much of a problem is it today still? I mean, do we still have issues where uh, banks won't lend to buildings? Absolutely. And then what is usually the reason? I mean, so I'll I'll touch upon two things. One, I I literally instruct my clients on who to use. Uh, And that, you know, has four particular buildings. Yeah, for for buildings. But I know, for instance, Wells has underwritten most of Manhattan. Right. Right. And then those cities underwritten most of Manhattan. I know Chase is is doing a good job, too. When someone comes to me and they say, I'm using Quicken or I'm using this person, I say, no, you're not. And if you are, you understand that you're going to sign the CYA letter right now because Mm -hmm. you're never going to get a mortgage whatsoever. Then I speak to the broker themselves, the mortgage broker, and I urge all agents, everyone in the field to do this. No one does this and say, do you know this building? Can you tell me right now that the bank is so important as a broker? If you don't understand what percentage of the building is owned. So there's a certain percentage if it's still owned by the condominium. So, for example, if there's a commercial space downstairs, if it's above a specific percentage, then then I think it's it's 40, I believe. Um, Then at that point, it's actually a little bit lower than that. Um, then uh, the banks will not lend to you. If uh, the condo owns too many units in the building, then you will not be able to get your mortgage approved. So knowing these things up front, and this is why, again, your relationship with the managing agent, yes, the managing agent's interests are not aligned usually with the agent's, find a way that's part of our job to create that relationship where you get this information ahead of time. And managing agents actually really respect brokers who make the phone call, who talk to them ahead of time, have all their ducks in a row because it makes everybody's life The buyer's agent or the listing agent? Oh, I'm talking about the managing agents. Whenever, whenever, but yeah, so if you're a buyer, if you're on the buy side of the deal, then you still need to be able to ask those questions and understand what the building is. But as a listing agent, Mm -hmm. Critical information. You should and know something this. that yeah, I've absolutely. learned through the years. In the beginning, you, you forget to ask the question, and you put the apartment on the market at a certain price, and then, oh man, it, man, did you mess up? Because now buyers can't get, you know, can't get a mortgage for whatever reason. You should have started at a lower price, but because you started too high, it's on the market too long. You have to understand absolutely. the building 
like we have a whole questionnaire that we send in advance that we get all these questions. Mm-hmm. How, how, what percent is rental? What percent is sponsor owned? Absolutely. Um, who lent in the building last? You even can find out what bank, very easy to find out what banks lent in the building last. So there's all these questions. One of in. the other things too to, re, to keep mm-hmm. in mind, new development, okay? And, and yeah. I do a lot of new development sales. And even though a building is finished and even though you're showing apartments in a finished building and people walk in and out of the actual spaces they're going to buy versus buying off of floor plans, until the building is 35, 40, 45% mm-hmm. sold, you can't start closing. So, yeah, it's immediately available. Yes, you can, you know, uh, move in, but the bank isn't going to clear that loan for close until the building, the sponsor, and the marketing group, the, the, the brokers doing it, have at least 35 to 40% sold. I personally have seen that. We had closings scheduled in the building I'm working in probably starting in July. But we couldn't close until um, September because we needed a couple of more sales. Contract signs, to that, right? Contract, contract signs. signs. But, we sold, and, sales, and yeah. but it's contract not just signs. that. It's also the price at which you sold in the new development has to be approved as well. So mm-hmm. people right. think that, oh, okay, well, you know, so if you're the, one of the first five closings in a new development in an area where pr- things have not sold at that price per square foot, if your broker or brokers cannot actually justify and give the appraiser, appraisers enough information to be able to justify that pricing in that location, that'll also be a problem for you to get your mortgage approved. And, and, and All right, just, that, that we got to stop it right there. That's it for me. We're out of time. That is our show for today. Thanks to my guests and the panel as always. Until next time, be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 